GM, GM, welcome to Web3 Academy, a place for entrepreneurs, businesses, and creators to explore and learn how to use Web3 to transform your business and build thriving communities. This is Jay Bird, and I'm here with Kyle Reedhead. What's going on, friends? Today on the Dear Spotlight, we were talking with Joe Paluzzi about the creator economy and really the best ways to grow and monetize an audience, which I mean is comes close to Jay and I as we run a marketing agency mm-hmm. with creators. And so it was nice to kind of dive down that rabbit hole. But then we discussed some of the issues of building an audience in a business, I guess, on top of these like Web2 social platforms, which led us down the rabbit hole of how is Web3 going to fix all that? And not necessarily the Web3 platforms, but how is it going to allow creators to build different kinds of businesses that they actually own and are not kind of rented out on these Web2 social platforms? And thankfully, you know, Joe has both launched a social token to his community and an NFT to his community. So we were able to just pick his brain on, you know, what to do and mainly what not to do when you're launching either of these tokens. So it was an incredible episode for me. Yeah, I think it's amazing. Joe has such a wealth of knowledge because he's in the weeds. He's doing this. He's such a doer. And so he really brought to the table the real experience of what he's experimented with. And it's really allowed, I mean, allowed us. I learned so much from this episode, as I'm sure you did as well, Kai. And, you know, it comes from Joe's experience. You know, he's multiple, you know, serial entrepreneur. He's multiple startups. Most recently in 2021, he launched The Tilt, which is a content creator education website. He also has a content entrepreneur event called the Creator Economy Expo. He's also a best-selling author of seven books, including Content Inc. and Epic Content Marketing, which was named one of the most read business books by Fortune Magazine. He's got two weekly podcasts, I mean, this is a guy who is just so deep in educating content creators and really trying to be at the leading edge of Web3 and how it's going to you know, transform business models for content creators. So really a must-listen episode for all Absolutely. content creators out there. And so let's waste no more time and let you guys get into the episode. But before we do, let's take a quick second to hear from our sponsors. The future of social media is here, and that future lives in Web3 on top of Lens Protocol. Web2 social platforms are broken and ripe for disruption. You see, the epicenter of social media is the creators, and yet they are the most neglected. Web2 platforms like Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram are all essentially robbing creators of their worth. Creators are a new type of entrepreneur, forming new types of businesses. Yet with Web2 platforms, creators don't own their content or their profiles, and that's their product and business. Instead, they are tied to the platforms they choose to create on. Well, just like how crypto is freeing us from banks, Web3 is freeing us from these centralized platforms. On Lens Protocol, creators own their content, own their profile, and even their social graph and followers in the form of NFTs. This allows you to move freely from one social application to another with your content, profile, and followers moving along with you. Lens Protocol enables self-sovereignty for your social graph and interoperability across the internet. At Web3 Academy, we believe this is the future of social, and that's why we partner with Lens to ensure that the path of social media is heading in the right direction. Visit lens.xyz to learn more today. Unlock Protocol is the NFT membership protocol for Web3. Content subscriptions, community access, event tickets are all forms of memberships, one of the most common business models for creators and entrepreneurs today. Building an NFT membership opens many new possibilities for your members. Everything from tailored multi-platform experiences to the ability to sell an unfinished subscription on secondary markets. These are things just not possible in Web2. However, 
In order for this business model to work, creators need NFTs, which are time bound or have built in recurring payments. Unlock Protocol does this for your NFTs. Better yet, with a few simple steps, you can create your own NFT contract without code. What WordPress has done for websites, Unlock Protocol is doing for membership NFTs. If you're an NFT creator, you can't rely on royalties as they are likely going to zero. You need recurring revenue. You need Unlock. At Web3 Academy, we believe NFT memberships are the future of business and community. And that's why we decided to build on Unlock. Learn more at unlock-protocol.com. Today, we have with us Joe Paluzzi. Joe, welcome to the show. It is an honor. I'm happy I can be on this wonderful gathering that you two have. So I'm Joe, just ready I... to talk about whatever. Are we talking did about I... Web3? Whatever you want to take this. <laughs> did I say your name right? It's, you were close. You know, you were close. It's Polizzi. But Polizzi, you were yeah. in the ballpark enough where I would not correct it. If you did the hard ooh, oozy ooh. on the end, I probably would have to say, hey. You know, my ancestors are really upset about that. Well, my, my you say your pronunciation sounded quite nice. The way that <laughs> Thank you. Well, my, my best friend's wife's last name is Paluzzi. So oh, yeah? it's really? a real, real trick for me. Yeah. She spells it exactly the same as you, except she's got the U instead of the I. So that's, that is amazing. We're probably related. It probably. It's, it's funny because I've been, I'm from, so I'm from Marsala, Sicily, where my ancestors are from. So the Americanization of my name is Polizzi. So that's mm-hmm. how you would pronounce it. Now, when you go over to Sicily, Marsala, Sicily, it's Pulizzi. Pulizzi. <laughs> and I, that's the first time I heard anybody pronounce it correctly. And I was like, oh, Pulizzi, Pulizzi. So I have to use the hands and get <laughs> yeah. the whole thing going. Oh, and, you know. go. Yeah. So anyways, <laughs> but thank you. Uh, uh, well, Let's start as we always do with Joe's rabbit hole story. Joe, what first got you into the Web3 space? Yeah, I so, saw, I mean, a little bit more background. I mean, I've been in content area for over 20 years. I started, you know, tinkling, tinkering around with this thing called content marketing. Got big into that with Content Marketing Institute, company my wife and I started in 2007 and then we were lucky enough to have an exit in 2016 i stayed on at cmi until the end of 17 and took a full sabbatical year in 2018 so i was retired and then i wrote a novel a a mystery thriller called the will to die and i was going to be a novelist that was going to be my thing and then funny enough the launch party for the will to die was march 8th of 2020 which Mm. is just odd timing as we look back at it, because a week later, the world completely shut down, as we all know. And I started to think about other things and started to research other things. And really how I started to make the pivot into wanting to know more about what was going on with Web3. I was already into to Bitcoin and ETH, and I was into that. But a lot of my friends who were on Instagram and TikTok, and as we saw algorithm changes, I started to get really worried about them putting so much of their fortune and business model, let's say, with these social media platforms that didn't care about them at all, and started to think, I wonder if there's a better way. Well, lo and behold, at the same time where you've got these big social media platforms trying to persuade these creators to stay on these platforms and not really give anything, you have, you know, tokenization, social tokens and non-fungible tokens, NFTs come out 
And so this is at the end of 2020, where I really started to go down the rabbit hole, as you say, and figure this thing out, because I was thinking, oh, okay, well, if you look at the top of what I would call the subscriber hierarchy, and I've written about this for a long, long time, but in my most recent book, Content Inc., I've got a thing called the subscriber hierarchy. It talks about fans, followers, subscribers, and you do a list of most important to least important. And down at the bottom is Facebook and TikTok and Instagram, and you have no control. And that's mm -hmm. fine if you're on there, but you've got to move them over to something you have a control over as a content creator. And up at the top is paid free membership sites, email newsletters, print subscribers, you know, those types of things at the top. And I'm thinking, well, is it possible that Web3 tokenization could be at the top of the subscriber hierarchy? And could this really be a business model answer for content creators? And I asked myself that question. I'm like, I think it might be. Well, what do you do when, you know, as an entrepreneur and as somebody who's curious, started to figure out, oh, I need to get into this. And that's where I went down. And we could talk about all the things that we did with the social token and our NFT program. Mm -hmm. But and then I got into the creator economy and I figured, well, if I'm going to do this, I might as well start a business. So I made my wife very disappointed that I started <laughs> another business in uh, the beginning of 2021. And it was really focused on we were going to be Web3 was going to be one of our core tenets. It was about audience growth. It's about revenue generation. It's about content operations. And it was about Web3 integration. And we've lived that for the last two years of our existence as a company and we've learned a lot and whether we're in crypto bear market or crypto insanity with all the stuff that's <laughs> gone on i still do believe that there's something here for content creators specifically and i'm pretty excited about it well it, you know it's funny it's a very similar story to jay and i starting web3 academy we mm -hmm. were both like you know we have a marketing agency we work in the creator economy world as well and we we're like Oh, this Web3 thing is probably going to disrupt a lot of this. Like, let's go down the rabbit hole and learn it. And if we're going to do that, we might as well start a company. <laughs> so kind of the same thing. But that was Except great... no wife that's mad. At <laughs> My wife's mad at both of you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. she, she better not be watching this. Okay. It's all good. I hope she is. But okay. So that was a great tease onto like what the potential here is of Web3 with creators. But let's set a bit of foundation, I think, first. Creator economy, as you mentioned, is a term I think we hear a lot, but what does that really mean? I still think it's new for a lot of people, even yeah. though we all interact with creators all the time. But I think for the most part, people don't really quite grasp what that truly means and, and what is it. So maybe in your view, can you just walk sure. us through what the creator economy is? Uh, I will do that. I'll first tell you what the creator economy is not. And it's not all the big software players that are catering to creators, which is what most people think. When you see a, Oh, here's a chart of the creator economy. It's all this software and all these tech companies that are building things on behalf of creators. And that's fine. But the creator economy is not TikTok and Patreon. They're a part of it. But the creator economy starts with the creator first and foremost. Now, I look at it from the lens of content creation. There's a lot of different creators, right? There's musicians, there's artists. They're very important. They have their own business models. I look at it from a content creation standpoint, which is the center of the creator economy is the content creator trying to build a full-time independent business from their content creation. That's what I would call a content entrepreneur. So that's the term that I use. A content creator who's trying to build a business is, you know, put mash those together. You have the content entrepreneur and they do that generally by focusing on one platform first 
and monetizing in multiple ways. And it's not that you have to stay focused and we all have our different things we're doing. I have multiple podcasts. I've got an email newsletter. I do video, but generally you start one way. Is it a blog? Is it on TikTok? Is it Instagram? Is it a podcast? And then you build your audience there. You do the best you can to control access to that audience through We'll talk about Web3, but generally, traditionally, it's been through an email newsletter for the last 20 Mm -hmm. years. That was the best way to do it where we weren't beholden to social media networks. And then once you build what we call a minimum viable audience, then you monetize it as many ways as you can. You generally start with a low-hanging fruit revenue option, which looks a lot like sponsorship. And then you move into, there's eight to 10 other ways that you can generate that. You can do events, you can do affiliate programs, you can sell your own products, you can do consulting services and coaching and advisory. All those things come together as little media company. Mm -hmm. So if we were going to simplify it, you have all these 50 million little media companies around the world and they're building an audience first. And then once they build that audience, they're generating revenue in multiple ways. And then you have all these wonderful software services out there and the social media platforms that are trying to help. And in some cases, I think negatively seduce content creators from using those platforms because without the content creators, those platforms would be nothing. That's their product as they go on. I'm not, I don't want to get too negative on social media platforms. I have nothing against them. I just think that there's too many people in the media out there that when they talk about creator economy, they list all these social media networks and all the service of a Substack and Patreon and whatever. And those are very important and we love them, but don't forget the creator, the content creator that makes this thing go round and why we're doing it in the first place. So what is the size? Do you have any, any numbers on the side? You just mentioned oh. 50 million. Was that a is that a rough estimate? Of well, yeah. I mean, are? if you look at, I mean, you've got Signal Fire that came out and threw out that number 50 million, which is a completely meaningless number. So I'll take, I'll throw out all kinds of meaningless numbers at you. First of all, content creator is a tough thing to say because my mom's a content creator. Mm-hmm. My mom's on Facebook creating content is a product of the meta system, if you will. And she's just not monetizing it, right? <laughs> so we're all content creators. Now, who are content entrepreneurs who are trying to do this? They're taking it at least from a hobby and serious about making this a full-time thing. I've seen 25 million. I've seen 50 million. I've, we have a whole research we've done a ton of research on this over the past couple of years at the tilt. And we can't, you can't get a number on this. No, nobody can. So I would just say it's millions and it's probably stronger to look at, you know, that there's, you know, you've got, I don't know how many, 10, 20 million on TikTok. You probably get the same number on Instagram. How many full-time podcasts you have going on? You take that and you look at all of them. You've got 50 to 100 million out there that are trying to build something. Yeah, beyond just just marketing. They're actually trying to build a business. (laughs) But I don't think it matters. We know, and I think we can say confidently, the three of us, that it's probably the fastest growing business on the planet. Yeah. Because it's the easiest to get, and it's also the easiest to get into. It's not easy to do. It's easy to get into because all you need is a smartphone device mm-hmm. and you can be a content creator and you're good to go. And all the services that we have, all those wonderful services, make it so that you can do this from anywhere. Which brings me to the point of the social media. Everyone hates on Facebook and Instagram, and I understand why completely. My only thing is I, I always tend to back them up a little bit, which is kind of weird, but only because without 
Instagram and Twitter and all these things that are free that allow us to build an audience for free and then go and monetize it, not on that platform elsewhere. But like those platforms are what enable us to do this and become creators. Like you said, it is easy to start. It's not easy to do, but it's easy to start it. And that's because we have these big platforms. So like, I got to give a little bit of respect to Facebook. No, I totally agree. I think it's fair to say that they've given a creator more choice on where to build their platforms. Because, but like when I started in the blogging game in the early to mid 2000s, none of those things existed. So the Mm -hmm. creator economy, if you look at it just from that standpoint, if you look at digital content creation and the economy around that, it started probably in the early 2000s. You had the dawn of the podcast. You started with blogging. Blogging, then, you know, they had Google. You could find ability on Google. So, you know, when I started my blog in 2007, like real business blog, and then you have people out there like Brian Clark who started Copy Blogger. I mean, these are the original OGs of the creator economy, if you will. And then you had Twitter and Facebook and then Instagram and all these other things that help. And you'll have more and more, you know, Twitch with, you know, Amazon buying Twitch and you've got Discord and you've got all kinds of wonderful tools. So I guess I would give them credit, but don't give them too much credit because, you know, if they weren't there, we would still be doing blogging and podcasts to get all the other things and all the other new technology. The reason why I don't want to say I hate on them, but the reason why I have them down here at the bottom is the content entrepreneurs out there. We often forget that we're building on this, what I call rented land and you have no control and no say over those. So what I always say is when you go out and if you're going to build on Instagram and I've got a lot of friends that have built their platforms, to Instagram, and they're multiple millionaires right now. And I'm so happy for them. But I always say, and this is how they approach it as well. They're very smart. They're like, well, tomorrow if Instagram changes the rules or kicks me off the platform, I'm going to be okay. Cause I have my business model set up where I'm, I have more control with as mo- And traditionally that's been, as we said, email. So I said, yeah, as long as content entrepreneurs out there understand that, then I'm fine with it because TikTok might be the best place to go. YouTube might be the best place to build your platform because you already have an audience there. It's much harder to do it on a blog or a podcast where you have nothing to start with, but on those other platforms you do. So I'm glad they exist. They've helped a lot of creators out there. You just have to make sure that that is not your platform. Those are not your subscribers. Those are YouTubes. Those are metas. Those are TikToks. Mm-hmm. So we just have mm-hmm. to be careful. All right. I want to come back at some point to this owned versus rented land analogy, because I'm curious if you've now extended that to Web3. But mm. before we dive into that. Yeah, I got to so, take on that too. So. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. But let's talk. So you mentioned you started new business in 2021, The Tilt, and that is focused on helping these creators. So just tell us a little bit, give us some context about the tilt. What does the tilt do and how are you helping creators? And then maybe let's lead into a little bit of what are you seeing and what are the trends in the space? Sure. Yeah. I mean, our goal is to help content creators become content entrepreneurs and not being totally reliant on social media platforms. We do that by sending out a newsletter every Tuesday and Friday. And we've done so since April of 2021, we've got 18,000 creators that read our our newsletter so we're super happy about that community and and then we're a learning community as well and so we got i mean we'll talk about this as well so we've got 2300 that have our token tilt coin so they're like our super community and we get them involved in certain ways and we're very open about how we're trying to learn and do this thing at the same time 
we realized that there was also a need for a physical event because there wasn't really, I mean, there's lots of events in this area. If you look at VidCon and then some of the other, like mm -hmm. Patreon's got their own event, ConvertKit's got their own event. There's a lot of really good stuff going on, but was there one for this independent, serious content creator? And that's why we created Creator Economy Expo. We launched the first one in May of 22 in Phoenix and it went really well. And the, so the next one will be May of 23 in Cleveland, Ohio. And which, you know, you all will be involved in that. We're very excited about that. So, so yeah, we're trying to figure out, we want to be useful and needed. And we thought that, is there a place where somebody could get, here's the news and distill it for me and give me a take on how to use all this news and then give me one or two really good educational, actionable things that I can do as a content creator who wants to be a content entrepreneur. And so that's what we've been doing since then. And so far, so good. What are you seeing? You know, it's been a year and a half now since you started the newsletter. That's what, that's what 600, no, almost a thousand newsletters that you would have done at this point. What are the trends? What stands out as to where we're at today? What's interesting is that there's this everywhere and including Web3, the, there's this move to maybe why we're getting a little bit more attention than we deserve of I'm scared about what these social media platforms can do. TikTok, of course, is in the news right now because you've got lawmakers and politicians talking about that and they're concerned about the you know, privacy and security because it's a Chinese-owned company. Mm -hmm. But that is just one small thing. It's the fact that you have a whole group of millions of people building our livelihood on a platform that can change the rules at any moment. So that's where we come in and we say, hey, absolutely use social media, but protect yourselves. And how can you protect yourself? How can you build mm. a business model off the platform? It's almost like you're separating it from content creators and content entrepreneurs into influencer marketing. So when somebody comes to us, like, for example, we had somebody reach out the other day, they have, they were an influencer marketing agency. And they came and they say, hey, can we sponsor Creator Economy Expo? And we're like, well, not really your peeps. Mm. Like you're looking at Instagram stars and TikTok stars and YouTube stars. And like, we have people that use those tools, but they're not trying to build their sole revenue source from that platform. Right. They're actually trying to leverage that platform and use that platform to build a full scale media business. Mm -hmm. And so that's where I think you're finally getting individuals who create content that are understanding that you don't have to be totally beholden to a platform. Now, Kyle, as you said, we should absolutely be thankful for the opportunities we have, but you don't build your business model on that platform, just like you don't want to control your distribution. I, this is back in, you know, when I used to sell stuff on eBay, like if eBay didn't exist, I would have no, like when I was selling sports collectibles on eBay in the late nineties, if eBay didn't exist, I would have, no business model. Right. So you'd have to, okay, I can start there, but then what do I move? How do I move that distribution off to somewhere else? So that's been a big one. The other one currently, which is concerning, but good at the same time. You had in 21, you had so much funny money blown into the creator economy, into Web3 and total creator economy. It looked a lot like 2001 to me. I don't know if you two remember 2001, but it really looked like GeoCities. And NASDAQ going up like crazy about like it was the dot-com boom era. And I was like, this is not going to be pretty. You could see it coming because people weren't making really good decisions. They were just throwing VC money around and whatever. Oh, hey, you're targeting creator economy. Good. We're going to throw you more money. Well, that has since dried up because that money is going as being held by other people or it's been lost. 
So you're seeing this is a really good time for everyone in the industry to get serious about their projects. Mm -hmm. I mean, really hunker down. We're in a recessionary, whether we're in a recession or not, you could argue, but we're in a recessionary environment where I think it's the best time for a content creator to grow a business. I was lucky enough and it was horrifying when we started Content Marketing Institute in 2007. We went right into 08 and 09. I thought, oh my God, could you have picked a worse time to build a business? <laughs> And when you're going through it, it absolutely feels like it's the worst time. But then 2010 happens and I'm like, that was the best thing that ever happened. Because mm -hmm. while you as a content creator are building, everyone else who would, with, with growth dollars, would start throwing money at a thing like content marketing back then. Nobody else was because they were all batting down the hatches and say, okay, mm -hmm. we gotta, we're in survival mode. Mm -hmm. And you're focusing on this little area as a content creator. That's where we are right now. We were the only one focusing on it. And when we came out of it in 2010, 11, we were there to capture all the spoils, if you will. And that's where I think a lot of content creators are. So that's my motivational message for any content creator is, I know it's tough. There's not as many sponsorship dollars out there as it was. There's not a, as much paid discretionary income that your audience might be able to buy, but this is your time to really build a loyal and trusting audience, become the leading expert in your industry. And then when it sort of gets a little bit better out there, you'll be the first one to take advantage of those opportunities. One great advice. And thank you for that. And then I think a great kind of way to explain what a creator is, you know, you, you have the influencers, which is not really necessarily trying to educate or be an expert in the area. They're more just like a personality, I guess. And they monetize via on the platform with, let's say, sponsorships or whatever. Creator economy is really those who are trying to educate or be an expert in a certain area. And they're moving people off and off of these social platforms and trying to build businesses around that audience, I guess. And then I guess the other side of it is you also have just like normal businesses that are also content creators, right? You have like Nike, let's say, and Adidas sure. and all these other companies that like they also need to create content. So everyone probably listening to this podcast is some form of content creator if they are building in, in Web3, which many are, and many are creators as well. And I'm just curious on your advice of if you're looking to build an audience, let's say on these platforms, is there anything you're noticing now that you have to do or you shouldn't be doing or just any advice into maybe you have a framework or something into building an audience? Yeah. <laughs> Funny enough. Yes, we do. Have, we have a, a framework. I'll go a little bit into it. But from, you mentioned the two pods, if you will, a creator economy, which are individuals, small companies, and then you have the Nikes of the world, which are content marketing. So that's the Red Bull media houses of the world, right. the Procter and Gambles mm -hmm. that have started into this. So what's funny about it is that the models are the same. When I go into, and I've had the, I've been blessed to go into multiple billion dollar companies and do content audits. And I'll be the content guy, right? I'm the content guy. I come in and I'll look at all they're doing. We do a lot of interviews and then they're, you know, get back to the table with the, marketing folks. And they're like, okay, what stuff should we do? Should we launch something? Should we do a podcast? And my whole list is, okay, here's the seven things you have to stop doing. <laughs> so basically when you go into these companies, what you find, and you'll, if you look at content marketing Institute research, the average mid-sized enterprise companies does creates and distributes their content in 13 to 16 different ways. So they're on Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn, and they're doing webinars and events and research and all the stuff. They're doing all the things. Well, what happens is they become mediocre mm -hmm. at best at all those things. And they're not master of any one thing. And if you're not, if you're not focused on one of those platforms and really learning it really well and distributing a consistent message through that, you'll never build an audience. Mm. So basically they do a lot of campaigns and a lot of content stuff and a lot of creators do that as well. So that's my advice is you have to start killing some things. 
starting out a, a young, if you will, not the age, but the starting point of being a content creator, if you're young, if you're just starting this thing, you have to resist wanting to do all those things. Because they'll say, oh, okay, I'm going to do Instagram, I'm going to do TikTok, and I'm going to do YouTube, and I'm doing all these things at the same time. Like, No, you're not. No, you pick one. And you might, and you could test it first. Absolutely. You might not know which one's the right one. So you can absolutely test. It might take you six to nine months, but figure out where that home base is going to be. And then you put more energy into that than anything else. Mm. And what we see working really well is one home platform and email. So it's mm. YouTube and email, TikTok and email, Instagram and email, podcast and email is sort of the thing that works best. And then once you build that minimum viable audience and whatever that is, I mean, so you might ask, oh, what's a minimum viable audience? It's that number of audience subscribers that you can get to start to monetize. And in my case, in our case at the Tilt, it was 10,000 email subscribers. We felt that was a strong number. It, for somebody that's a YouTuber, it might be 50,000 subscribers. Mm -hmm. Whatever that number is that you think that before you go out and really monetize, you put that in there. And then once you get to that level, then you can ultimately diversify into different things. I'll give you an example. So we started as just a blog for Content Marketing Institute. We did a blog and our research project for three years at CMI. Then we added our email, which we'd have done it sooner. We added our email news. So we have a blog and email with a side research project. We're doing that four years. That's all we're doing. Then we added a podcast. Then we added an in-person event, Content Marketing World. Then we added a magazine, Chief Content Officer. Then you add these things every nine to 12 months. And you do that because the research will tell you. And if you go in and you talk to these big companies, that's what we find is you're like call like an octopus of, of content love, if you will. So the more content you have that they're subscribed to, you can wrap them up and you love them and they love you. They trust you. And then they end up buying anything from you. And we found in most cases that the magic number is three. If they're subscribed to three things that you do, they're like an audience member for life. They're part of your community. They'll buy anything. So ultimately, that's why you diversify, but you can't diversify right away. Mm. So if you look at Red Bull Media House, how did Red Bull Media House, they do all the things, right? Sure, they do now, but they started as just a print magazine. New York Times, what they do all the things. They started as just a newspaper. Huffington Post, they do like 400, 500 different blogs, right? Yes, but they started to one blog to one audience. So then we diversify out. So that would be my recommendation is focus on what is that core platform? build that out and then you can diversify. I love that. Focus on your niche, right? Like yeah. find your niche and just give as much value as you possibly can to that niche in one form, right? Or another and really nail that. And once you nail that, then you can start to, you know, move on to other areas. So we've seen the same thing as well. So let's say you grow an audience, right? And you have this audience, it's on, you know, Instagram, it's on Twitter, you know, wherever that is. What is your sort of framework or idea? I mean, it sounds like it's go email, or at least it was yeah. that. Maybe Web3 is beginning to change that. But just talk us through your mindset or maybe your frameworks of once you have an audience and you've kind of built up this, this following, you know, where are you going next to start monetizing and what does that look like? Yeah, so, and we've talked enough about it and we can probably get in a little bit of the Web3 because that's the reason I got into this in the first place is, all right, I've got all these other things that I'm doing on these social platforms that I can't control my business. How can I best control the business? Well, the portability, functionality, ownership of email has been the answer for the last 20 years. So when we lost 
the print universe we were in where print subscribers could opt in and we got all the data through print. Well, now we're not doing print as much or, or at all and most people. <laughs> and now we're going into digital. Okay, where do we have that control? We have that control through email subscribers and you have that control through a paid or a free membership site. So that's the very top of the subscriber hierarchy. So if it's email subscribers, what does that mean? That means you have to have a remarkable, consistent email experience, which is easier to say said than done. Because when I go back to those audits I talked to you about, most of the time their emails were horrible. They say, oh, what's your open rate? Oh, we get three to 5% open rate. I'm like, you are spamming them. <laughs> like you you need to have one like industry average 17%. Yeah, it's like you need to be 20, 25%, 30% at least from an open rate so that you know that this is some valuable thing. And it has to be consistent. You can't just send it out whenever mm-hmm. you want to. And my friend Andrew Davis always said, You're setting an appointment. You want your audience to set an appointment with your content. What is that? Is it Friday mornings at six? Is mm-hmm. it Wednesdays at two? Whatever it doesn't really matter. It just makes make sure that you're doing that. I'm like, okay, well, that's it. You could grow that into a membership site. That's whatever. Now you really have a business model that you can grow off because once you have an email database, you can go into many different things. You could launch events. You can do webinars. You can do affiliate programs. You can do lots of different things that you're not beholden to the social media platform. And then you get into the hypothesis, which I still think we're at that testing phase, but I'm really pushing hard. That is the token, the top, of the subscriber hierarchy, or could it be? Now there's a trade-off there because I don't necessarily have the name or the email address of the person who mints or is given the token. And by the way, we'll talk about the different kinds of tokens whenever you want to, but I'm just saying token in general, fungible token, non-fungible token. Okay, so we don't have that, but they have this belief that they're sharing in the rewards with you which is amazing and has never happened before. Because if I sell a membership program right now and then I kill that membership program, then my, what does my audience get who bought that membership? Nothing. They get There's no control over that at all. So you're giving a little bit of control, hopefully, to the token holder. And hopefully, if, the, if you trust the owner of the contract, the token contract, then there's something there that will last. And there's good ways and bad ways. And I've learned some of the bad ways to do it. We could talk about those. So that was the thought is, could tokenization be the answer to a content creator's viability? So when we got into this as the tilt, I said, we're all in. So let's go with tilt coin. Let's go ahead and we'll do a social token, fungible token. So basically like the dollar or Bitcoin, not like an individual unique smart contract like you'd have with an NFT. And I said, okay, well, we have to make it usable. How do we make it usable? Well, if you have a certain amount of tokens, you get certain things. Like if you have five tilt coin, you get access to original piece of research that we'll only give to those people that have that. Okay, that's good. We do that. If you have 20, you're in our tilt VIP group. So you get access to me all the time and we had ongoing questions and I'll answer any of your questions you have. We can set up appointments. I was trying to make it very hands-on, very VIP oriented, great, do those things. Well, can you use the currency? I want to use it. We want to treat it as our own economy. Can we do that? Well, well, let's see. So we set it up where and we integrated with our Shopify account, where if you wanted to buy one of our t-shirts on our merch site, you could do so with just Tiltcoin. Great, like that. I want to buy membership. I want to buy a training. 
So we have a content entrepreneur training program. It costs like 300 bucks when we launched this thing last year. Well, what if I wanted to use Tiltcoin? So yes, we absolutely set it up so you could buy and use those things. And it actually works really well. But the reason why I love it more than anything else, and this is something I think you have to go through before you can actually believe it, is the people that own and hold Tiltcoin are the best members of our community. They're the most rabid over what we're doing. They're the ones that trust us the most. And they're the ones that share and refer us to everyone else more than any. So when you sign up for the Tilt newsletter, you get a little thing at the bottom and say, oh, hey, if you do this process, you get Tiltcoin. We'll send you $5 value of Tiltcoin. And, and then if you refer people, we'll give you more Tiltcoin for referring. So most of our new subscribers come from people that have already held Tiltcoin. So it's the best rewards and loyalty program that I could have absolutely thought about. And I didn't even know that was a thing. So that's how we started using this whole thing. And I feel that I've got some downsides that I could talk about in a second, but I feel we, we were really close and we are really close to figuring out a model that works for the token holder, as well as for the content creator. And this is so early. This is like Alta Vista, you know, so early in the process here, this is Netscape 1.0, <laughs> trying to figure out the use case as we're building the airplane, as we're in the air. We're absolutely at that point. But so far, I think we're onto something. And it's that last point that's the most important. These community members, I know our top 200 holders, personally, almost, we've got, a lot of us have become friends. They're, they end up speaking at the event. They come to Creator Economy Expo. There's something here where people feel more of a connection that they would any other way. It's more than just having an email subscription. It's more than just having a membership. They actually feel part of the business that we're trying to build together. And they actually do feel like we're building it together. It's very interesting. And I love the experimentation with tokenizing a community via fungible tokens. There's a lot more people doing this with NFTs in there. And I know you've done an NFT route as well. And so I wanna, I wanna dive into that after. I'm curious though, in the terms of these fungible tokens, is there, other than access to certain things, is there like upside to these people? Do they wanna hold this because they feel like the, these tokens can appreciate in price and because they're a part of the, like it's like an equity play or is that not the route that you've taken here and it's more just access play? Cause I know there are many ways you could do it. I'm just curious yeah. how you've laid it out. At first it probably was. And we have to actually put that down wherever we can, because whenever, if you say that you buy Tilcoin and you can make money, big no, no. And that's yeah. not financial <laughs> advice. I would never say anything like that. I've never said anything like that. The value of Tiltcoin has gone up and down as per the price of the rally token. And we can talk about that a little bit if you want to. That's a real negative. I wish if we started, it was just a token and it had no monetary value to it. <laughs> if we did not set a monetary value to Tiltcoin, I think we'd be much more and would have been much more successful with it. The fact that we put that on there, we did get some speculators in there. Right. Mm -hmm. And we, I think we created an artificial expectation that people could buy it like they can buy stock, which is not a thing. <laughs> and, and so that was a big problem. So one of the issues that we went for, we're, we're on the rally network. So Tiltcoin is part of the rally network. So it's not truly decentralized. It's centralized, decentralized. And this is one of the issues that we had. I decided, I looked at many different options at the end of 2020 to see what we were going to do. And I wanted it 
whatever was easiest for somebody to actually go through the process and get the token. Well, Rally was a very simple web 2.0 system. You only had to sign up through your email and you could get the you could get an account and we could integrate it fairly easily with some tools online so that people could, could integrate it with our referral system. Everything was great. We integrated it with Discord. Everything was fantastic. But you were using Rally's rules. Mm-hmm. It, Rally was a separate company. Rally, even though that we were a Rally token was a side chain of ETH and Tiltcoin is a side chain of Rally, which is all kinds of trouble because we don't own the contract. And that's what I've really learned. And that's mm. the biggest thing I would tell people. If you're going to do this again, there's ways to launch a social token program that you can own your contract. And there's lots of really good organizations that will help you do that. If I had to do it over again, I probably would, even though we have 2,300 token holders right now at Tiltcoin. It's been very successful for us. It's still successful, even though Rally has made some decisions. They got hit with the crypto downfall, like with everyone else. They've really, really cut back. Rally token went from $1.20 to a penny. Mm-hmm. And we, since we're stuck on that, Tiltcoin went from in dollars, again, just showing you where it's been. We were at $64 a coin, and now we're at $2. Wow. Now we have more token holders than we've ever had before. If it was just by price and a tilt coin, we should be at an all-time high, but we're not because we're dragged down by the price of rally. Again, I wish we didn't have that conversation of price. It was unnecessary to have. So as we stay on rally and go through this, or as we alter to another token, which we're, we're looking at all the options right now to see what makes the most sense to migrate token holders over where they really do own something because that's right now it's artificial do they really own that no they don't i don't own the token Mm. if i can't control Mm -hmm. the token as the creator then they can't there's it's all web 2.1 fake decentralized stuff (laughs) so so that's what i learned and i wish i had to do that so now we know but we've got a great community that we built off of that belief and trust and we don't want to let that trust go. So we're not going to, and we're going to, and we keep them updated. And I've been posting, here's what I'm thinking. We're figuring this out. We're not going to make any rash decisions. And that's where we're at right now. So I believe there's something here because this is the most powerful community that we've I've ever seen built hmm. because I think of this idea of tokenization. So we have to really go out and do it and build it as close to Web3 as we possibly can. One of the things that I continue to just wrestle in my head when you're going to tokenize a community is the, how do you separate like launching products and actually charging for them so you can make real money and not rely on a token, not real money, sorry, but fiat money, let's say, you know what I mean? Which is what a lot of businesses run on. But so how do you decide the dynamics of, well, I'm going to sell products and just charge in normal currency slash I'm going to give away products if you hold X amount of my currency, right? Because I just wonder how that becomes a sustainable thing, how you can generate revenues from that long-term. Like, is that something you've thought about? And if there's any advice you can give them, that would be amazing. Yes, I've thought a ton about it because we've tried all the different models. You know how if you're only into Bitcoin, they call you a Bitcoin maximalist. You can't go in being a token maximalist and make money now. Now, could that happen in the future? I think it, it is possible. But I think that you have to have a hybrid approach right now with your business model. And the way that I would do that is if you're setting up a social token system in some way, you do it for access, not for products. Mm -hmm. 
Like mm-hmm. if you that. do it and say, and then you set up discount rates. So let's say you have your VIP level. And if you have a hundred tokens, you get 50% off of XYZ product. Great. You're just setting up a discounting system. It's a reward loyalty system. Nothing wrong with that, mm-hmm. but you sell your products for fiat right. because you have to eat. <laughs> you have to support <laughs> your people. And that's where, and we took a little bit of a bath on a lot of the stuff. If you want the truth of it, for when we, when we set it up and people could get all this stuff with the token, as the price of the token came down, it almost cost them. I mean, we were giving away stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. And I don't regret it because we learned a really good lesson. If we would have just kept the, hey, you're a top level, you get 25% off or 50% off of our products, whatever, that's fine. Still, I mean, right now, if you hold a, a lot, some people hold a lot of tilt coin because the value has changed so much. Well, you can go in and probably get. 20 t-shirts for nothing right now (laughs) because we still have it set up where you can use your tilt coin for merch and we probably should have that i probably should talk to my team and say we probably should take that down but i had somebody use i don't know they had a thousand a thousand tilt coin and they bought all kinds i bought a hoodie and it's it's like great (laughs) but we have to pay for that and it's fine i'm learning we're learning a really good lesson so that's what i would say access so the tokens for access and what different levels do, do, can you create to give that token holder access to experiences? Mm. And then you have your product set over here that's separate, integrated where you can. And discounting would make the most sense to me. You're tokenizing your community, not your products. That's, I think, the key right. thing, right? And the way you're tokenizing community is almost through a rewards program, a reputation, a social graph type thing within your community, Mm -hmm. the more you engage, or as you said, you know, ask other people to join or the more you help the community, the better access you get, right? The more tilt you get and the more access you get, more discounts you get, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's incredible. I love it. Jay, do you have any other questions on the- So if you do it without, let's say you could go back, Joe, and you did it without a price on the token, you never gave it monetary value. Because one of the ways that people can get tilt right now is by just going to buy it. So no. does that does that create problems if you remove that method of joining a community? If the only, and I guess in that case, the only way to get the token would be by earning it through actions yeah. that you reward them for. You would it would through behavior. They would you would referrals. You show up, I mean, Brian Fanzo at NFT365, he's got great ways to do it. If you listen to X number of podcasts, you get ADHT tokens, which is his social token. He's created a whole different ways, all built on behavior. Because then when you do that, you really make it a loyalty rewards program Mm -hmm. and you take the monetization out of it. Mm -hmm. But if we're talking about real web three, and if there's the opportunity to really for a creator to build their own economy and profit from that economy, you, it probably, the token probably has to have a value. Definitely. Right. Because then the creator ha- would have to exchange some of that yeah. for fiat dollars so that they can pay for their expenses. That was the mm-hmm. original thought, the original mm-hmm. thinking. The problem is when you're built on somebody else's platform, it doesn't work. I might not feel the same way, Jay, if, unless it was, let's say it was, I started on my own, our, our own contract and we started at 10 cents or a dollar mm-hmm. and now it's a dollar 10 or whatever probably wouldn't have been so bad 
Mm-hmm. It's just that you can't take a shock to the system where two months you go from $64 to $2. Mm-hmm. Your creator account, it, your own economy can't work. So that's where I'm really going to the other side and take the price out. I would like to see. And then you never get the questions about any of the regulatory issues, any of the, mm-hmm. oh, is this a stock? Am I buying into ownership? Those things come out because it really is a rewards loyalty play. But as you said, a lot of people are in it because they want to be part of this thing. They actually want to own something. Mm-hmm. So maybe... In six months or a year, when we get back and we talk about this thing again and we're on a different system, maybe I'll think differently about it because we have a more stable currency that we're using. To give some context, Joe, I'm pretty sure what happened with Rally is they were also giving Rally token rewards for those Mm -hmm. who would interact with your community and the others on Rally. And I think they turned off Rally rewards or something like that. And, And so that's why your currency has taken such a big hit because it was... I guess inflated, not inflated, but yeah. like it was relying a lot on the rally token as well. And so it probably was over what it should have been. Whereas if you're not relying on another token and you do provide liquidity to your token, it kind of goes up and down based on the value that your community brings to yeah. its members and to you know the utility of that token itself. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, you kind of just got caught up in what was going on with rally, I guess. Yeah. And rally provides the treasury, right? They provide mm-hmm. the liquidity. Right. which it worked great because as a creator, yeah. you're like, oh, great. I can just go ahead and tap in and they wanted to do this with us. So if we were to move it off and let's say we were going to build a tokenization system on ETH or whatever the case is, wherever the contract would be, we would have to create our own treasury yeah. to do that. So I, as the creator, would have to fund 10, 20, $30,000 and put that in there for a number of ETH so that if somebody wanted to sell, you know, we would have enough to back that up. And a lot of creators don't necessarily want to do that. Mm -mm. So that's why you see 99.9% of creators out there dabbling in Web3, they're they're NFTs. It's -hmm. very hard. I mean, sure, you've talked, you were saying at the beginning, you probably have a number of NFT examples, not many social token examples. Hmm. It's a perfect transition in NFTs. (laughs) (laughs) This is something that we have written a lot about, we've talked a lot about, is tokenizing your community via NFTs. We actually haven't touched a lot on the social token side, but that's why I was excited to, to get your experience on it. So first of all, thanks for being the leader and, and experimenting. I know not everything has gone well, but I'm sure- First one through it. the door gets yeah, bloody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're here to prove it. No, it's been a great, you know, if somebody asked me, I would say it's absolutely been a great success. I don't for regret sure. anything, mm-hmm. but we, so we've learned a lot. We will, we'll write the next book all about it. Well, I would say one of the things I'm very grateful for after hearing what you said is we tokenized, well, our community tokenized themselves. We were, of course, part of it, but they tokenized themselves, but we did it valuously. So there is no liquidity to that token. And so there is no speculators involved. And it's just been like, we need to build, we need to create value so that we can eventually provide liquidity. And I guess it's a, I mean, in 2020 and 2021, it was so easy to just like launch a token and there'll be all this liquidity because everyone was slinging money. Now, obviously it's times have changed. And so I'm very grateful that we've done it in a valueless way to start because it's, we've been able to learn without wasting $30,000 or whatever it was to provide that liquidity. So, okay, let's talk on the NFT side of things. And I'm interested to hear the difference of why, just based off you've done both of these, why would someone use an NFT versus a fungible token with their community? Is there any kind of clear reasons why you've kind of noticed since you've been building both? I think from a rewards loyalty standpoint, if you really do feel like you want to build your own economy with a currency, I mean, the choice is social tokens, in my opinion. Right. Absolutely feel first and foremost, what you can do with with the fungible token and the numbers that you can give out. And basically it's all the same. Everything's just like the dollar or the Bitcoin or whatever the case is. You can build in different access levels that is 
not as feasible to do, in my opinion, with an NFT. If you look at an NFT, non-fungible token, that everyone could be unique and different, and you're building a different utility from that than you are. So if it was a reward, I mean, I'm sure you've had people on the show that that have used it as rewards loyalty. You can create different gating and systems Mm -hmm. and whatever, and that's fine to do that with an NFT. I just haven't done it that way. When we looked at it, we were all in on social tokens. And then I heard Gary Vaynerchuk talk about his VFriends program. And that if you bought a VFriends NFT, you would get three-year access to VCon, his event. I'm an event producer. I've been an event producer for 20 years, physical events. This is what I do. And I'm like, three years? Why only three years? What's wrong with you, Gary? <laughs> It's like, are you scared? Do you want to, <laughs> I don't understand why he did it. Cause you, you limit the downside if there ever is an issue because it's only three years. But my concern was if you're trying to create something that people can own value through this NFT, you're limiting the value right away. Only three years. I'm like, that's terrible. So I'm like, okay, well let's try an experiment. So we launch creator economy expo. And I'm like, let's just do it, limit it to a hundred and say, I want to do, and I call them never ending tickets. They call them nets, NETs. Can you, with somebody, get an NET and they get lifetime access for as long as the event is going? Now, it's tough to say that because it's an, it's an inaugural event. Like people don't know if we're going to last. Well, good news is we're on year two. But that was the whole idea. This was, you know, a funding mechanism. We were a new event and we sold, I don't know, like 40 for the first event. And I'm, I have a really good suspicion that now we've got an ongoing event. People believe that. And we set them at a higher price and because we set them at one ETH. And at the time when we set them, I mean, it was $4,000. Mm-hmm. It was in the, at the top of, and now it's, you know, it's relatively cheap with ETH at uh, 1300 bucks. So it's funny, you can go in and you can buy an all access ticket for a thousand dollars, or you can buy an all access never ending ticket at a T <laughs> for 1300. So anyways, we tested that out and the first year worked really well. We had a separate meeting for all the net holders. It was great. We did round tables. So it's basically invitation only exclusive experiences. This year, we're going to do the same thing. We're going to do like an all you can drink type event and people get together. We could do a little bit of celebration. Our net holders got more more involved in the event. Some of them got to be on the main stage and do introductions. There's a few of the NETs that have very rare properties like there's one where you could do a co-creation project with me from a content standpoint. There's another one where you can actually introduce our closing keynote speaker. That one I think hasn't gone yet. So there's some of those things that are out there. And so that's what we were trying to experiment with. Could you create that? I And so I've been prognosticating for a long time that I believe the future of events and event ticketing will be NFTs. Definitely. Now we probably went to a little bit of an extreme but I think in the future, you're going to see that happen where, I mean, instead of the Brown Cleveland Browns, my team working through SeatGeek or Ticketmaster, why couldn't I work directly with you two if you wanted to sell and I could take the whole middle layer out of that equation? Mm-hmm. So that ultimately, I think that's what's going to happen. But then you can create all sorts of different things to happen in the smart contract that you can't do with just a regular digital ticket. So that's kind of that was our experience in it. And that's worked really well. So hopefully, you know, by this time next year, we'll sell them out. We'll create a really amazing group of people. And so it's a different kind of loyalty. It's around an event. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, okay, well, that was our Genesis 1 project. Could there be a Genesis 2 project? I think there will be. And we're thinking about what that would be. But from an overall, like if you're a creator and you're listening to me, 
talk about social tokens versus NFTs, launching the NFT is a thousand times easier <laughs> because that social token, it's every day. I mean, it, you are, when you make a decision to do a social token, it is not like a project. I know a lot of NFTs can be a project. Uh, this is not that. It's all the time. NFT, we can just do, we can just associate it with this one time a year event and have that be a special, unique experience for those people. But the challenge with the NFT route is sustainable revenue. And so I've just got to ask, in your case, so there's a hundred of these NFTs that you sold. That's the net. I love that you gave it a, like a protocol standard. like name. Is it an ERC number yet? Have you put it through the Ethereum for a proposal? Just for context, how big is the event outside of? Oh, uh, so we had 400 people at the event. Okay. And so of those 400, 10% were never ending ticket holders. Okay. And so, so how do you, how do you monetize or do you maybe just not need to? Like, how do you think about if you're going to give these people access in perpetuity, but they only paid once. And I mean, we all assume creator royalties are going to zero. So you're not really, unless you really think you have a creator royalty revenue stream. Is there a revenue stream for these 100 people? Or are you just saying we don't need a revenue stream for that? So think, so I I absolutely think about it like a Kickstarter program more than anything Mm. else. It's different now because the price of ETH has come down so much. But at the time, if you do the math and you said, okay, we sold 30 or so of these things at the top of the market, I mean, it was Mm $120,000 that we generated immediately. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, it's not that I didn't cash out or anything. So it is the ETH that it's in. (laughs) So that's smart or bad business, depending on how you look at it. Is what it is. But from that standpoint, if we didn't have this crypto bear market we were going into, it worked really, really well. Mm-hmm. Because when I did the math, I'm like, oh, okay. So when we launched this program, I think youth was a 42 or 4,300. So, oh, okay, well, 100 of these things, I mean, you're, look, you're talking about $400,000. I don't need mm-hmm. to resell. I've got 100 people that have totally bought in. Okay, well, the floor falls through and you know we're at where we're at. But still is regardless it was a good chunk of revenue still is mm-hmm. and still coming in there and i'm using it now as oh these are the true believers they're the greatest piece of research and community that we could put together because they're investing long term into this thing and right. and if and you know let's i probably should have just said it in dollars that's what i was gonna say right if i would have said it in dollars then people could and by the way that was a really good learning because most of our community didn't have any idea what was going on when it comes to, you know, most of them didn't have a digital wallet and they didn't right. have to know what to do. We didn't set up a credit card payment button until after the first event. Mm-hmm. And I would say half of the NET holders that we set up, I walk them through step by step. Well, I was just going to ask because your audience is not Web3 native. Right. A lot of people that we bring on the podcast is they're Web3 native people. They have, you know what I mean? And they're marketing to Web3 people, whereas you're marketing to just your normal. I mean, they're obviously into the tech scene and the social scene and all that if they're creating businesses on, you know, online, but they're not necessarily Web3. And so I'm just curious what that experience was like. Did they get it when you launched the like, hey, I'm going to launch these tokens, like let's say the social token side. Did they understand what was going on? I mean, it's somewhat relatable. We all have points with our credit cards and air miles. And then also when you did the NFT thing, 
like, what was that like? What was your community? Did they ask a lot of questions? Did they get it? Or just what was your experience? Well, I mean, part of our core mission is to educate on Web3. So we're right. educating ongoing. So right. they're not completely foreign to it. They just didn't start anything yet. They're just learning about it. So they're right. curious more than anything else. Where we probably failed is I felt like, oh, well, if they're going to do it, they better get a wallet. Let's teach them how to get a wallet instead of just saying, it's okay. Use your credit card. Use however you need to do it. Because I didn't realize that you just need to get them started. And once they get started, it doesn't matter how they start. Right. Once they get started, they don't have to go out and absolutely have to do the whole thing and fund it with ETH themselves. I mean, you guys know, right? When you start, oh, I got to get the wallet. Then how do I fund it with ETH? And then you find out that a lot of the banks that you work with or Coinbase or whatever, <laughs> it's very hard to transfer money. It's like, I can, and then some banks won't even do it at all. Right. It's like, oh, how do I fund this thing? And then they just gave up. So we had a, I had a lot of people come to me and say, hey, I was going to buy a never ending ticket, but I, I did. I got lost. I couldn't do it. And I'm like, oh, that was shame on us for not just making it easy. So if you, to anybody out there, you have to prepare to create all the educational materials up front and right. don't force them into doing it exactly the way you think you should be doing it because you're Web3 native. Like just do whatever the lowest hanging fruit is the easiest and get them involved and help them get their digital wallet. That's why I loved Rally. Right. It's so easy. It's like setting mm -hmm. up a Facebook account. It's, everything's easy. Mm -hmm. You get that. Well, we know the downside to that now, but- in this case, yeah, I would have set that up for first and foremost. And that's where like Gary V did a great job. Because if you go to his site, you'll see right out, set it up with a credit card. Buy your V friends with a credit card. Mm -hmm. We, we mm -hmm. didn't do that. So, Joe, I really appreciate this. This seems like all the things you've talked a lot about all the things not to do. And I think that's so important. <laughs> uh, and so I, I just want to like say I really appreciate you coming in and explaining that and giving that kind of advice because... That's exactly what everyone needs to hear who's going to get into the space. So I really uh, appreciate that. I think my one big takeaway, Jay, before I pass off to you, and I know we then need to wrap up, is if you're going to tokenize your community, social tokens is the way to go. If you're going to tokenize your products, NFTs are the way to go. That's yeah, kind of what I got from it. this. But yeah, very interesting. Jay, I'll let I, you. Yeah, that, that's a, I never thought about that way, but I think that's a good way to look at it. Mm -hmm. and, and to build on that, if you're going to tokenize your product, don't tokenize all your products. Like in your case, it's so interesting. You gave away 100 lifetime passes, but you can sell way more than that. So you yep. still have revenue every year and think about it more. I love your, think about it as Kickstarter, right? The reason you use an NFT is to get revenue, more revenue now, which you need now. And some businesses need that to get going and then don't count on it being the necessarily the lifetime revenue that you're going to need to be able to sustain. That's a great way to put it, Jay. I talked to somebody recently who hasn't gotten into NFTs and they had a paid membership model and they're like, should I tokenize my membership model? I said, no, no. you are generating revenue right now from your, there's nothing wrong with it. But if you'd like a super ultra VIP membership model and you want to test out an NFT with that there, do that. Mm, do so that. don't put your current revenue formula at risk if it's working and just say, oh, because we were there, right? Last year, everyone was there. It's like, oh, mm -hmm. I got to move everything over. Everything's got to be tokenized. Well, thank <laughs> goodness we all came to our realization. No, it doesn't. We're still at baby steps here. Let's figure out some things that we can. So that's where we're at. So like if I'm working with the team and figure out, okay, well, what's the next test project we want to run? We would not run over with a steamroller, our current products mm -hmm. that are selling, 
we would create something different as a testing that's a unique experience that we can offer that some people that really believe in us would want to be a part of. So, so, and that's where you have, it's a small group of people that want a super large experience. And that's why I like the limited, I always love limited inventory. Like I the 10K, I don't understand the world of the 10K project. That's just way too many for me. Like I can't even get around a thousand. Like I'm almost like what Proof did, what Kevin Rose did at Proof with, I think it's just a thousand. That's more manageable to me. I could see that Kevin could know though of those people. Right. 100 maybe better, 500 better. So start smaller. Well, and that was a three-year pass. Proof, another instance yeah. of time bound. Right. Yeah, because once that's done, I mean, gets all the money off of that. And then whenever the royalties yeah. start or stop or whatever, he's got those. And then as you go on, can start something else. Proof two, proof three, proof four. So, so you can't start a new one. Well, and that's what we've actually talked a lot about is, and maybe that is the way to think about NFTs. And I know we got to wrap up, so I'm just getting excited, but it's either got to be time bound because then you're not. So if you do your whole product, then you got to time bound it because then you're not stuck with, oh, we don't have any recurring revenue down the line. Yeah. Or subscription right? NFTs. Or, or exactly. Or subscription, which I would consider a form of time bound. It's sure, like a right, recurring right. time bound, Good right? Point. Or it's got to be limited collection and it's only a portion of mm -hmm. your customer and portion of your revenue. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. Yeah, I would think about I would think about it more for content creators listening to this like a Tony Robbins exclusive event, right? What's your exclusive content experience that you know you can price at a higher level that only a certain percentage of your audience would want to go to? How do you monetize that? So you have your stuff for the masses for most of your but what is that small content experience that you mm -hmm. can create? That's where I think that there's something there. Right. So it's a premium. I think NFTs right now should be a premium product that you should look at, not something small. Love that. Love it. Okay. I'm going to jump to a speed round unless Kai, you got any questions? Oh, actually, before we go to the speed round, I want to, Joe, I want to give you a chance to give a shill for the tilt for creator economy expo. I know we've mentioned them, but just tell people yeah. where they can find you. Yeah. If you're into, yeah, absolutely. Things. If you're into all this stuff and we talk about web three as well and how to integrate it as a content creator, the tilt.com sign up for our newsletter. If you don't like it, you can unsubscribe really easily and we don't buy badger about it, but I think you'll find value if you like this whole conversation. And then our in-person event, we actually try to get these content creators in person. We're expecting 500 plus in Cleveland, Ohio, May 1st to 3rd. Go to cex.events, cex.events, and you can sign up and check it out. And there's different levels to get involved from inexpensive to our never-ending ticket. If you wish to go down there, we've still got 40 of those left. So we'll see. Which is actually at a great deal. Right deal. Yeah, that's what I was just gonna say. <laughs> I, it's funny. It's uh, We haven't really been promoting it for a while with crypto going and we just sold two in the last two days. So I'm like, oh, maybe it, maybe we're starting to, maybe we're starting to, maybe we hit a bottom. Maybe we're starting to come around. So and for the listeners, I just found out yesterday that I will be speaking at the uh, at the conference. So definitely come out. I will be there and I'd love to see you guys all there and get to know all you listeners. So make sure to check out this event. It's going to be awesome in Cleveland. I'm excited. We'll have uh, both yeah, of the wait. Tilt and CEX links in the show notes for anyone who wants to check those out. Before we let you go, Joe, we'd love to just ask you a couple more personal fun questions, a little speed sure. round that we like to do at the end. Okay, first question. What's a token could be non-fungible or fungible that you'll never sell? Uh, I own a CryptoPunk that I probably oh. would not sell. 
Nice. So. Nice. Yeah, I would, would not sell that either. <laughs> Especially not right now. <laughs> I'm not, no, I'm, wait, I'm waiting. I, hope, I want to give it to my kids. Oh, who, totally. by the way, completely laugh at me. Like, they think that Web3 is the stupidest thing ever. They're 19 and 21. <laughs> Are they Isn't that weird? Are they what? Gamers? And they're 19 and 21? Oh, yeah. They think it's all... Uh, I mean, are they, they are think they it's all... They're heavy on Twitch and the whole thing in Discord. Really? They think it's they think it's all a Ponzi scheme. Oh, man. So, I mean, there's a lot of it. <laughs> <laughs> some of it. We've been shown that some of it is. So uh, it's probably good we went through this little time period here. <laughs> okay. Something you've purchased recently for under $100 that brings you joy does not have to be a digital product. Oh, under a hundred dollars? Ramen noodles? I mean, I, like, what? Like, is this a? Is a, I've had some really good meals. Oh, like I went to see Hamilton for less than a hundred bucks. Uh, nice. As you can see behind me, I'm a big Lin Manuel Miranda fan. Love, In the Heights is my favorite musical, the one that he did before Hamilton. So Hamilton tickets cool. always a good value. Nice, cool. Okay, last question: If you had a billboard that one billion people were going to see. What would you write on it? Forgive your friends and loved ones. Like it would probably be something that would make the world a better place. <laughs> like I, or, or, you know, something like follow your dream now or set your goal and do it or life is short or something that just gets people going and just treating people better. I think that's where I feel optimistic coming out of the last two years. I think people want to treat other people better. I think we're mm. more in it for positive human experiences than ever before. Mm -hmm. And that's where, you know, that's where I'd like to put a lot of our time. We have a nonprofit I'm going to tell you about called Orange Effect Foundation. And we provide speech therapy services and technology to aut mostly autistic children who can't afford those services. Those are the types of things I want people to focus on. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of good people, a lot of people that are giving and we get so bogged down in the negativity and even though I might believe different things politically than someone else, I think we forgot that we're human beings and we're all, we're, we all got it rough, right? We're all mm. going through stuff. And if we could just settle down, like maybe it would say, you know, the person in the car next to you is having a bad day too. <laughs> chill, that. chill out, man. Everything's going to be, everything's going to be okay. We'll all make this thing go together. So... <laughs> Uh, that was a really long answer. It's like, that's a big, that's big a lot of words. It's the longest bill. <laughs> See, you'll never have me back on. You're like, oh, this is the longest show we've ever done. Don't ask <laughs> Joe that question again. So. Well, you nailed it on the spot. Appreciate the positivity and the, the optimistic outlook on the world we need. Can never have enough of that. So Absolutely. thanks for sharing that. It's a really nice cherry on the top of what has been a fabulous episode. Thanks so much for joining us, Joe. It's been just an absolute treat. Oh, and looking forward to keeping in touch with both of you. So this is it's fun that, you know, we all found each other and we're trying to educate. You know, it, it's so important. We're at such a critical time right now. And I feel so optimistic about the business model of creators out there. So there's so much more that needs to be done. Totally agree. Couldn't agree more. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Have a fantastic day. And uh, yeah, we'll have to get you back on for a part two, Joe, I think. Love like, it. Thank you for listening to Web3 Academy. We hope this down. helps you along your Web3 journey. If it does, please share this episode and subscribe so you don't miss the next one. Nothing in this podcast was financial advice. 
crypto and Web3 can be risky. You can literally lose it all. In fact, if you invest on account of what we say, you probably will lose it all. So don't do that. In all honesty, the point of this podcast is to remove the noise of markets and price and focus on utility and implementation anyway. So you should not take any of this as financial advice. Thank you, friends, and see you in the next one.